bless you. Shalom. Shalom. Oh, that's not too bad. Last night they did a little bit better, but I think you can do better than that. Let's try that again. Shalom. Shalom. <clears throat> now do you know what you said? has three meanings. Shout them out. Peace. Hello. You got, the, you got the transition with the goodbye. Okay, that's good. Okay. As Tim said, we are Bob and Emily Seymour, and we work with Chosen People Ministries. Now, some of you have, might not know about Chosen People Ministries, <clears throat> but Chosen People Ministries began in 1894 by a rabbi by the name of Leopold Cohen, who had come from Hungary, came to, to, uh, to the United States, landed in Brooklyn, and through the love and compassion of a pastor, found his Messiah and started Chosen People Ministries. And Chosen People Ministries has been bringing the message of the Messiah to Jewish people ever since then. Uh, we serve in many, many cities here, <clears throat> excuse me, in the United States that have major, <clears throat> excuse me, major Jewish populations. We also serve um, o- overseas. Um, that's where uh, chosen. That's what Chosen People Ministries does. We do evangelism, uh, discipleship, uh, Bible studies, <clears throat> any way that we can get the message of the Messiah into the Jewish community. Now, the ministry that Emma and I specifically have with Chosen People Ministries is, is we build. Uh, I was a private building contractor for about 25 years. And in 2000, uh, around 1997, 1998, the Lord was speaking to Emily and I to go into full-time ministry. And in 2001, we joined Chosen People Ministries and have been serving with them ever since. And I wanted to thank you as a church family for for supporting us uh, ever since we started with Chosen People Ministries. Uh, You have no idea what it means to Emily and I to have a church family that stands behind us, whereby your cards, your letters, by people phone calling us, telling, telling us that you're praying for us. Because Jewish ministry is a very, very difficult ministry. And it means a lot to Emily and I that we have a church family that stands with us, that we can be your voice in, in the Jewish community to be able to share the message of the Messiah. So I just want you to know that as you're praying and as you're thinking of us, it just means a lot to, to, to Emily and I because we travel all over the country and all over the world. We've built these Messianic centers in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We lived in Israel for about six months building a Messianic center. We went to Toronto, Canada and did a project for Chosen People. Went to South Florida in, in, Boy, in Boynton Beach. And now we're in Brooklyn, New York, which is the second Israel. Okay? There's about three to 400,000 uh, Jewish people in the area we are in. We are on, on Coney Island Avenue. If any of, of you know anything about Brooklyn, it's one of the main thoroughfares there. And Chosen People Ministries has purchased a 14,000-square-foot building right in the heart of the Orthodox section. Within a square mile of where we are, are working and building this Messianic Center, about 98% of the people are Jewish, Orthodox or uh, Hasidic. And as I walk from the apartment building that uh, Chosen People Ministries has provided for us, I can pass anywhere from six to eight synagogues in a six or seven block area. And as I walk there early in, in, in the morning, <clears throat> I see men carrying their, their bag, their, their prayer shawls, going into, into the synagogue to pray. And as I pass those men on the street, I pray, Lord, as we build this center, I pray that some of those men would walk into that center and find Jesus as their Messiah. And that's, that's what keeps us going. I have a gentleman that just started working with us. He says, Bob, how do you keep your sanity doing this project? Because it's a very difficult project. And I told him I keep my sanity by knowing that in the chapel service one day, when we're done with that building, there'll be 100 people, 100 Jewish people sitting there listening to someone proclaiming the message that, that Yeshua, that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. And he'll be proclaiming that message so that Jewish people will find their Messiah. 
Emily works very closely with me because she does all the computer work. <clears throat> the only thing I know about a computer is how to turn it on. That's it. I tell people if it's not wood, I don't know anything about it. But she does all the computer work for me, and I'm very, very thankful for Emily. Uh, Emily and I met in Bible college, and Emily wanted to go into Jewish ministry, and I wanted to build churches. And we figured, how in the world is that ever going to happen? And the Lord brought it together under Chosen People Ministries. Because like I said, we physically build these Messianic centers. I could tell you story after story of the opportunities that God has given to me to share the message of the Messiah, not only with Jewish people, but with guys on the job, on the, on, on the site. I was out on, at, at the dumpster one day unloading some debris into the dumpster, and a lady stops by, and she says, where's this place going to be? And that's a typical question that I get most of the time. Sometimes people come by and spit on the building. Sometimes they spit at, at, at us. But sometimes people come by to ask, what is this building going to be? And I said to the lady, I said, well, this is going to be a place where Jewish people are going to come into to look into the Old Testament prophecies about the, the Messiah and see that Yeshua is the promised Messiah of Israel. And she said to me, she says, how do you know Hebrew? I said, well, well I said that my wife's Jewish. And she says, does your wife believe that Yeshua is the Messiah? And I said, yes. And she shrugged her, her shoulders and she said to me, she says, why are you as a Gentile interested in Jewish people? And I thought for a moment how to answer, and I said, you know, I'm very thankful to the Jewish people because the Jewish people gave me my Messiah. And because of that, I can believe in the Messiah of Israel and have everlasting life. She looked at me and she says, okay, okay, very, very good, which is some, a good response to get, okay? <laughs> Sometimes they don't respond that way. <clears throat> but God has given me so many opportunities. The apartment building that, that, we, that we live in, there's an Orthodox guy standing out there every morning smoking his cigarette. The Orthodox do not talk to anybody but their own people. For some reason, we struck up a conversation. And I was able to, over a, a three or four weeks, I was able to share with this guy some of the promises of the Messiah. After a while, he just kind of backed off, didn't want to hear it anymore, which is you know, very, very typical. Also, the one subcontractor that I, I contracted with, his name is Bill, and I asked that you pray for him. Bill and I hit it off very, very well. And Bill came up to me. He says, Bob, he says, I understand. He, I was telling about chosen people and what, what we do. And he said to me, he says, Bob, he says, how do you mix Christianity with Judaism? He says, I'm Jewish. My wife's Catholic. We just can't seem to, 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 to get it together. He says, do you have any information on that? No, Bill, I have no information at all. <laughs> Nothing at all. <clears throat> so I said to him, well, well let, let me get some information. So a couple weeks later, he asked me again. I gave him some of the information. He says, Bob, can you really explain to me? So at 8 o'clock in the morning, I remember in the middle of the chapel with my tool belt on, I, gave, I laid out the gospel for him for about 20 minutes. God has given me incredible op opportunities to share with guys on the site. A lot of the guys that come into that uh, construction site, I've been in the trades for 40 years. I know that some of them will never darken the door of a church. And I try to provide an environment for them that is very calming and very soothing. Bill has even said to me over these many, many months, he says, he says, my wife can tell when I'm at your site. She says to me all the time, can you go to Bob's site more often? Because when you come home from Bob's site, you're a lot calmer than you are on the other sites. And Bill has already commented to me that he wishes he had more clients like Chosen People Ministries because everything has run very, very, very smoothly. He's read the book Isaiah 53 Explained by Dr. Glazer. And at the end, sometime this summer, uh, we have to get to it pr pretty soon, he wants to sit down with Emily and I and really find out how this can happen because he knows Emily is Jewish and Emily is a, a believer and wants to really find out how we can mix this. So I ask that you would pray for Bill 
that you pray for Elmanaya as we work in, in Brooklyn. It's a very difficult project. The, uh, the uh, people in the area do not want us there. We've had the building department in there about six or seven times on, on bogus claims. Actually, they called one time at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and the building department was there by 6 o'clock. That never, ever happens in New York. If you call the building department on Monday, they might come by Friday. But it came with, within, within two hours, so we have a lot of opposition there. But we know with the opposition that there's blessing. And the blessing is that we're making a center where Jewish people will come to hear that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's what we do, and that's, that's what we claim. Uh, we want to show a short video now of uh, the work in, in Brooklyn so you can get a better feel and a better understanding of what we're doing. I'll just give you a, a, a small uh, introduction to the type of ministry that Chosen People Ministries is doing and specifically what Emily and I are also doing with Chosen People. Uh, this morning, Emily and I have a twofold purpose as we come here to speak. Uh, one is to give you an understanding of the uh, Jewish holidays that you will better un understand Jewish people because in order to share the message of the Messiah with them, you have to know what they think and, and what they believe. So that's one of our purposes. The other purpose that we have is there might be somebody sitting here tonight that God this morning that God is stirring in your heart to possibly go into full-time ministry or to serve somewhere. I want to encourage you that God has given all of us abilities and talents to use. <clears throat> if you had told me a long time ago that <clears throat> one day I would be using my talents as, as a builder to build Messianic centers all over the world where Jewish people will come to find their Messiah, I'd tell you that you're crazy. <clears throat> Never thought that, okay? But God has his plan for us. And God can use us as long as we're obedient and willing to listen to, uh, to him. So I pray that that might be uh, you this, this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next month, Jewish people all over the world will begin to celebrate the Jewish High Holy Days. And uh, the High Holy Days this year is Rosh Hashanah begins on uh, September 16th. Yom Kippur is uh, September 28th, 25th. And Sukkot is uh, September 30th. So we're getting pretty close to the High Holy Days. So today we're going to have the, the great joy of, of learning of two of these fall feasts. Now you might be asking yourself the question, why should we study these feasts? What's the importance of studying these feasts? First, by studying these feasts, it gives us an understanding of the New Testament and points us to our Messiah. And secondly, God calls these feasts my appointed times. And if they're important to him, they're also important to us. And thirdly, by understanding these feasts, we will better understand the Jewish people and know how to pray for them. Now, there are seven feasts altogether, and they are outlined for us in, in Leviticus 23. And the first four feasts occur in, in the springtime, and the last three occur in the fall of the year. Now, these feasts together are an outline of God's plan of redemption from the death of the Messiah to the Messianic kingdom. And the first three will be fulfilled by the... The first four, excuse me, will be fulfilled by the, have been fulfilled by the first coming of, of the Messiah, and the last three will be filled by his second coming. Now, the first of the fall feast is called the Jewish New Year, or Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year. And it's based on Jewish tradition that God created the heavens and the earth on this day. Now, the date on the count, now the date on the calendar is the beginning of the Jewish civil year. But the beginning of the religious new year begins in the springtime with the Feast of Passover. Now, another name for this feast, the Feast of, of Trumpets, or the Day of the Blowing of Trumpets, or Yom Teru. I'd like to read for you from Levit Leviticus 23, 23 through 25. 
The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Now the trumpet that is used for this feast is called the shofar, and the shofar dates back to the time of Abraham and is a very significant feature in Jewish worship. Now it can be made from either the horn of a ram or the horn of an antelope, and it has a symbolic link in the event where God told Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac in Genesis 22, and that, then God provided a ram as that substitute for Isaac. Now since the days of Moses, the shofar has had a very prominent role in Israel's history. The law was given to Israel with the sounding of the shofar. Israel conquered the battle of Jericho with the sounding of the shofar. The shofar was used to call the Israelites to a, to a crown a king, to begin a jubilee year, or to begin a holy day. And it's also a common Jewish teaching that the shofar will announce the resurrection of the dead. And I'd like you to keep that in mind. We've asked him to blow the shofar for us because he's a lot better than I am. <laughs> Thank you. The blowing of the shofar itself has some very interesting details. There's to be a total of 100 blasts, and it's divided into a series of four different types of long and short blasts in different combinations. Finally comes the long last blast, or the Tekiah Gedola, which means the great blast or the last trump. Now, on this holiday, the eerie, bittersweet tones of the shofar are to call my people to ten days of remembrance and repentance. Jewish people are to remember the Israel's covenant relationship with God and to remember their sins. This is a very serious time. This sets the mood for a serious time of self-evaluation and introspection. Today in Judaism, it is believed that on this day when the shofar is blown on earth, that God opens up three books or scrolls or ledgers in heaven. One is for the completely righteous who are immediately inscribed in the book of life. Another is for the thoroughly unrighteous who are inscribed in the book of the dead. And then the third one is for the vast majority, the book of the in-between. Ten days later, on the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, God will decide their fate for the next year. That is why during those ten days, which are called the Ten Days of Awe, their fate is hanging in the balance scales, and Jewish people are hoping that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds and that God will write their name in the Book of Life. Now, on the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, Orthodox Jewish people conduct a ceremony called Tashlich. And you may see um, Jewish men gathering near, maybe under the Verrazano Bridge or on Coney Island Beach. They all gather near a body of water, and they take their pockets, and they empty their pockets out into the water. And this is taken from Micah 7.19, which reads, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now, traditionally on this day, honey cake is eaten and challah bread. I don't know if you've ever seen challah bread. It's braided egg bread, kind of an oval shape. Well, on Rosh Hashanah, it's made round in the shape of a crown to signify the head of the year. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year or new year. And what is done, the bread is sliced and um, sliced apples 
are taken and they are dipped into honey and eaten, and this is to represent hope for a sweet year. You may hear the greeting, Lashana Tova Tikitevu, which means may your name be inscribed in the Book of Life. Now we can find messianic application to this holiday in connection with the supernatural blowing of the shofar. First, the supernatural blowing of the shofar will occur with the rapture of the church. And that's uh, described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, and 1 Corinthians 15, 52. I'd like to read that for you. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call, or with the shofar of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Now, since Paul was a rabbi, he... Could, he could have been writing from his own rabbinic background where the term the last trump referred to the final long trumpet blast at the Feast of Trumpets. Now a second messianic application involving the supernatural blowing of the shofar will be the regathering of Israel. And we know that God has already performed a miracle in regathering Israel as a nation in 1948. But we are still awaiting the time when God will regather all of his people back to the land. Isaiah envisioned the shofar blast as announcing the regathering of dispersed Israel. Isaiah 27, 12 through 13 says, In that day the Lord will thrash from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, O Israelites, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Zechariah writes that the Lord himself will blow the shofar on that day when, and deliver his people from the attacking heathen armies in the end times. Zechariah 9, 14 through 15 states, Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. So we have seen... That, that the Messianic application to the Jewish New Year involving the supernatural blowing of the shofar is the rapture of the church and the future regathering of Israel. The second of the fall feasts is called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Now, this is the most solemn day of the whole calendar in the Jewish year. Coming 10 days after the Jewish New Year, this is the day that the Lord gave Israel for the forgiveness of their sins, both national and individual sin. We find this, again, as many of the passages of the holidays are in Leviticus 23. This is Leviticus 23, 26 through 28. The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves or afflict yourselves, and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day, because it is the day of atonement, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Now, according to Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement was the only day that the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple, only one day a year. And even then, he could only approach the Holy of Holies after first bringing a sacrifice for himself and his family. 
he would set aside his regal garments, the usual very decorative regal garments that he usually wore. He would wash his entire body and then put on simple white linen, symbolic of purity and holiness. Only then did he dare come into God's presence with the blood of the atoning sacrifice. Now, there were bells attached to the bottom of that white linen garment so that the people could hear him as he entered the Holy of Holies and know that he was still alive. Know that God accepted that sacrifice as he stood before God. Now, there was also a rope attached to his ankle so that if he didn't perform the duties properly and, um, you know, what would happen, God would have to strike him dead and no one was allowed in the Holy of Holies and so that rope was so that the people could pull him out from the Holy of Holies the high priest had an understudy in case he didn't fulfill the duties properly. How would you like that job? <laughs> now, during the time of Jesus, the high priest had to review the rituals with the Sanhedrin for a whole week before the holiday to make sure that he was properly prepared. He was not even allowed to sleep the night before, but he was kept awake standing on cold tile, reciting and studying. Now on this solemn day, after presenting an offering for himself, the high priest would present two goats to the Lord on behalf of the people. He then cast lots to determine each goat's fate. Now it was considered good omen if the lot marked for the Lord was drawn by the high priest in his right hand. Now one goat became the Lord's to be killed as the, sacrifice, as the sin offering. And upon entering the Holy of Holies, the high priest sprinkled the blood of the sin offering on the mercy seat and on the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of the people. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make an atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes an atonement for one's life. Now the second goat was called the Azazel goat, or the goat of removal, and this goat became to be known as the scapegoat. And the goat symbolized the removal or the carrying away of Israel's sins. And what the high priest would do, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat. And he would confess over that goat all the sins of the nation of Israel on that goat. And then that goat was led out into the wilderness by other priests. And to make sure that the goat did not come back into the camp of Israel, most of the times the goat was pushed off the cliff, sending it to its death. Now, following the shedding of blood comes the, re the removal of sin. Today, the Day of Atonement is observed by fasting for the entire day, afflicting the body and attending synagogue services and praying throughout the whole day. Also on this day, the book of Jonah is read to show that a man cannot run away from God and that God is moved by repentance. Now, since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there is no longer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. What were the people to do? So in 90 AD, a very well-known and learned rabbi, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, held a council at Yavne in Israel, and he declared that there were three things that were valid substitutes for the sacrifice. Repentance, prayer, and good deeds. And this is what the rabbis teach today. Repentance, prayer, and good deeds are how you have forgiveness for sins. But the Bible says that atonement or forgiveness of sins cannot be achieved by man's own efforts, but only through the shedding of a blood sacrifice. 
all over Brooklyn during Yom Kippur last year, and then I'm sure we'll see it again this year, we saw tents of caged chickens being sold. In Orthodox Jewish circles, the sacrifice of a chicken takes place after the fowl is raised and swung over the head and the following prayer is recited. This is my substitute. This is my exchange. This is my atonement. This fowl will go to its death and I shall enter into a good and long life and peace. Now rightly, these dear Orthodox recognize that blood sacrifice is necessary. But the blood of a chicken does not fulfill God's requirement. <coughs> Excuse me. Does not fulfill God's requirement of the blood sacrifice, and neither does fasting, repentance, prayer, and good deeds. Although most Jewish people hope that their names are written in the book of life on Yom Kippur, they have no way of knowing that their sins are forgiven. On this day, my people believe that their their uh, good deeds are hanging in God's balance, waiting for his judgment. Listen to an account of a great teacher, that teacher we just mentioned earlier, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, on his deathbed. In his last hours, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai kept weeping out loud. O oh, master, his disciples exclaimed, O oh, tall pillar, light of the world, mighty hammer, why are you weeping? And this is what he said. I go to appear before the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. Moreover, I have two roads before me, one to paradise and one to Gehenna, or hell. And I know not whether He will sentence me to Gehenna or admit me into paradise. Can you feel His utter despair? This great rabbi did not have personal assurance of salvation in his dying moments. My people are lost without the Messiah. So how does one find atonement today without the temple? The sacrificial system foreshadowed God's ultimate sacrifice for sin, his son, our Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, the Messiah. The concepts of substitution and atonement are found in Isaiah 53. And to me, that's one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture. It's how I came to find Jesus as my savior and Messiah. And my people do not even know that Isaiah 53 is in their Bible. So I encourage you, if you are sharing with any of your Jewish friends or neighbors, ask them to show you their Bible and show them in their Bible Isaiah 53 and ask them to read it to you and ask them who it's speaking of. They will be shocked this is in their Bible. A couple of passages, a couple of words from Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, 4 to 7. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Messianic application of the Day of Atonement is significant because it points to a greater atonement to come, one that was provided by the sacrifice of our Messiah, Jesus. His death and through his death and resurrection, Jesus became our perpetual sin offering and scapegoat once and for all, as well as our great high priest for both Jews and for Gentiles. A believer in Jesus does not have to worry whether or not his good deeds are adequate to gain him acceptance by God. 
But by Jesus' sacrifice, all who believe in him have free access into the presence of God. I'd like to read Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, sit, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now a key element of the Day of Atonement is the affliction of the body. And the Day of Atonement is to be fulfilled by the Great Tribulation, which is often referred to by the term of affliction. Now during this period there will be the affliction of both body and soul. And Israel as a nation will be afflicted during the Great Tribulation. God declares in, in Hosea 5.15, Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt, and they will seek my face in their misery, in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Zechariah 13.8-9 uh, tells of an affliction that will destroy two-thirds of the nation of Israel in that day. And this affliction will lead, and this, this will lead to the affliction of the soul, where on that great and final day of atonement, Israel will finally recognize their Messiah. Listen to Zechariah 12.10, where it speaks of the whole nation of my people will be saved in a day. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him, as one grieves for a firstborn son. What a great day that will be when my people will recognize their Messiah, repent and believe. But what about our Jewish friends now? Many of them are still either waiting for the Messiah to come, or they've just given up waiting, or they just don't care. If only some of you would share with your Jewish friends that believing in Jesus the Messiah is the completion of the Jewish faith. After all, Jesus was Jewish, the writers of the New Testament were Jewish, and the first church for the first 10 years of its existence was all Jewish. But one of the biggest obstacles to my people in accepting Jesus as their savior is thinking that they won't be Jewish anymore. This is the furthest thing from the truth. It's a Jewish thing to do to believe in Jesus. We need to share the message with our Jewish friends and neighbors. One of the greatest Jews who ever lived besides our Messiah Jesus was the Apostle Paul, who never gave up his Jewishness. And I'd like to read to you his heart and his burden for his own people from the book of Romans. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Can you hear the passion in Paul's voice for his own, for his own people? And most of our Jewish friends do not know that the Messiah has come. Jewish people have sometimes become the great omission of the Great Commission. 
And in the, in, in the church's call to reach the world with the message of the Messiah, they sometimes forget that Jewish people are an unreached people group as well. We need to have a burden to share these things with our Jewish friends and our and neighbors. Now, great Old Testament commentator Franz Delitz wrote, For the church to evangelize the world without thinking of the Jews is like a bird trying to fly with one broken wing. And most Jewish people will not enter a church, but they will listen to a friend such as you. I'd like to repeat that. Most Jewish people will not enter a church, but they will listen to a friend such as you. More Jewish people come to faith in their Messiah through the witness of a Gentile than through any other means. Emily's mother came to faith through a Chosen People Ministries uh, Bible study from a Jewish, from a Gentile neighbor friend of hers. And because of Emily's, of that neighbor witnessing to Emily's mother, Emily's mother came to faith. Because of that, Emily came to faith. And because of that, the two of us are serving now with Chosen People Ministries. I cannot wait to get to heaven and find that lady and shake her hand and say to her, thank you so much for being so bold and so courageous to share the message of the Messiah with your Jewish friend, with your Jewish neighbor. I, I want to close with a couple of thoughts regarding the uh, shofar. The shofar is not a fancy instrument, but simple looking. It has no keys or no buttons. And our message to lost people is simple. God's once and for all sacrifice is simple compared to the elaborate rituals of the synagogue. God's truth is simple. The blowing of the shofar is a call to action, and God is waiting for us to respond to that call. How will you respond? Will you say that you have no talent or ability? God has given all of us some kind of ability to use for him in ministry. The blowing of the shofar is a wake-up call to proclaim the good news of Messiah to people. We all need to wake up because the world has such a strong hold on us and has really lulled us to sleep. The blowing of the shofar is the sounding of an alarm to warn people of the consequences of not heeding God's wake-up call. It is to warn us that the time is very, very short. And I'm, all, I'm, I'm sure we're all aware that the time is very, very short. The sound of the shofar cannot be ignored. So we are to speak in such a way and with such compassion and urgency that the message cannot be ignored. We are to allow God to speak through us and make Jewish people jealous for what we have. The shofar is a conduit through which air is blown in order to be used. God wants us to be a vessel through which his spirit can flow in order to be used by him. There is a blessing in Psalm 89.15 which says, How blessed are the people who know the blast of the trumpet or joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of thy countenance. How can you walk in the light of, of God's face? Sound your shofar to the lost and dying world. Remember, missions is God finding those whose hearts are right with him and placing them where they can make a difference for his kingdom. Will you be one of those who will make that difference? In closing, Emily and I would like to chant and sing for you the ironic benediction. It's taken from Numbers 6, 24 through, 20, through 26. And this is chanted and sung in the synagogue at the end of every Shabbat service. So if everyone would close their eyes, and after that I will close in, in prayer. We're going to say it in Hebrew and then translate it for you into English. 
Bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Alvino Malcano, our Father and our King, we thank you for this day that we can proclaim your word. And Father, we thank you so much that we can proclaim it to your people, Israel. Just pray, Lord, that as the days follow, as we get into the holidays, that people would, that the Jewish people would seek their Messiah through these holidays and that we would be able to show that to them. So thank you so much for this time, for this service. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, amen.